0: This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Christian, if you're like me, you're a bit overwhelmed by all the teeth whitening products on the market. Well, this week's sponsor, Smile Brilliant, has provided us with some very interesting facts to pass along to our listeners. Fact number one, teeth whitening does not whiten your teeth. It removes the
1: stains and restores the tooth to its natural color. Natural colors vary per
0: person, but for most, it's an off-white or slightly yellowish undertone. Fact number two, teeth whitening does not damage your teeth, but it does temporarily dehydrate them. When dehydrated, the pores in the enamel are open and exposed. Open pores invite acids and sugars, which we all know lead to tooth decay. Avoid or minimize acidic and sugary substances for at least 24 hours after whitening. Also avoid staining substances. The teeth are more susceptible to restaining during this period. Fact number three, tooth sensitivity is the result of tooth
1: dehydration. When the pores of the enamel are open, the teeth become dehydrated, exposing the nerve to the elements. As the tooth rehydrates, the sensitivity will dissipate. To accelerate the rehydration and curb sensitivity, use a post-whitening application known as remillerization or desensitizing
0: gel. Fact number four. Caps and veneers cannot be whitened because they do not have pores for the stains to latch onto. Prior to having dental work, You should whiten your teeth, restoring them to their natural color as the dentist will be color matching to your current shade. Fact five. The key to teeth whitening is the
1: delivery device. So long as a whitening product is a peroxide based whitener, it will remove the stains. What differentiates one product from the next is the device that holds the whitening agent to the tooth without interruption. You know, whitening strips neglect the crevices and molars and they slide on your teeth saliva will flood the generic trays because they are bulky and don't create an actual seal oh and you likely did not know this but led lights are novelty items that add no benefits you need a high output uv light only found at the dentist don't fall for the you know gimmick If you insist on a light that does not
0: work, get one on Amazon for $5. The number one whitening device recommended by dentists is the custom fitted tray. You can have a dentist make your trays for $300 to $600, or you can head over to smilebrilliant.com and use their lab direct mail-in process for a fraction of the price you would pay at a dentist. Oh, and if you grind your teeth at night, you can also purchase a Smile Brilliant custom fitted night guard. Once again, for a fraction of the price you would spend at a dentist.
1: That's right. Make sure you head over to Smile Brilliant and use our promo code N-E-R-D. That spells NERD for an exclusive Amazing Nerd Show
0: discount. Once again, that's SmileBrilliant.com and use our coupon code NERD for an exclusive Amazing Nerd Show discount. And remember, guys, don't be an idiot.
2: Smile Brilliant. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching Badass Rockabilly Track Now locating man behind the curtain Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1 Welcome to The Amazing Nerd Show Hey, it's Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd
0: Show. All right, this week we're gonna be breaking down the latest episodes of Loki and the Bad Batch. We're also reviewing A24's latest horror film, False Positive.
1: And we'll be talking AEW and the current rise of Jungle Boy. All
0: right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions.
1: Up first, HBO Max's
0: Green Lantern has reportedly casted its Sinestro. So yes, according to the Illuminati, Tobias Menzies has been cast as Sinestro on the series. The show will feature his time as a Green Lantern before he gets disillusioned and forms the Yellow Lantern Corps. So Menzies' resume includes roles in Game of Thrones, uh, The Crown, uh, Star Wars Rebels, Doctor Who, Black Mirror. So he's definitely been around the block. As of right now, the HBO Max Green Lantern series has no premiere date. Well, up next, Black Panther Wakanda Forever has officially started production. So Variety is reporting that Marvel head Kevin Foggy has confirmed that production on the highly anticipated Black Panther sequel has started earlier this week in Atlanta, Georgia. Foggy is quoted as saying, It's clearly very emotional without Chad, but everyone is very excited to bring the world of Wakanda back to the public and back to the fans. We're going to do it in a way that would make Chad proud. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is scheduled to be released in theaters July 8th, 2022.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like working on this project without Chadwick being there, but I also have to wonder, you know, who's gonna be picking up the mantle. So I gotta imagine they're doing some type of angle on who will be the next Black Panther, if it doesn't happen in this film, but at least down the road. Um, you know, at first one, I thought maybe Shuri would be a shoe-in, but I, it might be too early for that character in general to, you know, take that helm. But maybe Nakia, she was very strong in the first film, and I could totally see her pull, like picking up that mantle. And working with sherry in the same you know role
0: yeah i i feel like it's got to be Shuri though i mean like you said mm. maybe if not this movie maybe the next film like maybe they tease at this film and then you know the next sequel that's where they go we know that ryan kugler is going to be doing a series on disney plus also after this i believe it's supposed to be kind of like an anthology type mm. deal um so i don't know maybe they kind of tell the story there of her eventually like you know Accepting the mantle.
1: Oh, yeah, that's totally possible. I mean, we literally just saw that with
0: Falcon now becoming Captain America. So, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, I just feel like it's got to be Shuri. I mean, maybe they do have someone like stand in, you know, his place until Mm. like Shuri's ready. I mean, what about Okoye? I think she would be great as Black Panther.
1: Um, I just don't know, because I think she's going to get her own series, too. But, I mean, maybe in her series, that's her becoming Black Panther. I mean, it's probably, it's maybe that's why she's getting her now. own series.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what about Baku? I could see it. He was a good actor. Yeah, I, I loved him in the film. So, um, But, like I said, if they just need kind of like a placeholder, you know, someone representing Black Panther to protect Wakanda until, like, Shuri's ready... I mean, you've got a strong, like, roster of characters who could do that and fill that Mm. role, you know, until Shuri once again, is ready to accept the mantle.
1: So, up next, Jason Bloom confirms that Blumhouse is making the next Exorcist film.
0: So... I don't know if you remember, uh, and I might have subconsciously blocked it out, uh, but late last year, there was a report that uh, Blumhouse was producing an Exorcist film alongside Morgan Creek with uh, Halloween's David Gordon Green rumored to be directing. Well, this past week on Den of Geek, Jason Bloom did confirm that Blumhouse would be, in fact, producing the next Exorcist film. Whether or not David Gordon Green will be directing was not confirmed, though, uh, but he's definitely on board in some shape or form. So, in the interview, he teased a new direction for The Exorcist, uh, liking it to what they did with John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, he's quoted as saying it's going to be like David's Halloween sequel. Uh, I think it's going to pleasantly surprise skeptics out there. We had lots of skeptics about Halloween and David turned them around, and I think he's going to turn them around with The Exorcist. He went on to say, I want to make a movie that works for both audiences. I want to make a movie for people that know and love The First Exorcist and are furious that we're doing this, but somehow drag themselves to the theater. I want them to come out happy. And I also want to make a movie for people who never heard of The Exorcist and for them to really enjoy. I think David did that with Halloween, and I think he'll do it with The Exorcist also. Well, I mean, here's to hoping. I mean, I'm not someone who hates remakes by any means, but The Exorcist is like the one film I wouldn't touch. I just don't see what anyone could do or bring to the table that would justify a remake. Uh, But he does talk about what David Gordon Green did with Halloween 2018. So maybe this is more of a sequel, Which, that's fine. I mean, we've had Exorcist sequels in the past. I mean, Exorcist 3 is a fantastic movie and completely underrated. So Green's uh, Halloween 2018 was supposed to be a direct sequel to Halloween, the original. And it kind of retconned all of the previous sequels. So maybe that's what he's going to do here. Uh, But just don't fuck with the original. It's perfection. Come on, people. I'm I'm also in a weird place where it's like... I've been liking,
1: you know, Blumhouse Films 50-50 at this point. You know, where they have a good remake here and then they have a terrible remake there. So it's it's definitely a mixed bag for Very me. hit or miss right now <laughs> yes. with them. I, I just don't know uh, if I trust them with Exorcist. <laughs> but I mean, Halloween was enjoyable, but it wasn't that, you know, perfect of a sequel to the original. I don't know. Yeah, I mean
0: as a sequel it's okay it was obviously a remake's a whole different Mm -hmm. story though if you're gonna go that route i I, i'm hoping that that's not the case i'm hoping this is supposed to be more of a sequel i mean do you think they do something where they like get linda blair back like they actually follow like the template beat for beat and like have her like you know as the grandmother of the you know girl who gets possessed in the film you know do something kind of cheesy like that if you want. Like, Pazuzu's <laughs> back and possessing, like, her family members or something. And it's her, <gasps> like... Pazuzu's revenge. Uh, right. Because <laughs> otherwise, like, I don't want to see, you know, a scene for scene remake. Or I just... No. There's no reason. There's no reason for it. So, because otherwise, like, if this is a remake, I don't see the point. As long as it doesn't become another fantasy
1: island... Um, you know, oh, where Jesus they Christian. just totally flipped <laughs> that's a the low genre. bar, <laughs> <laughs> but it was still them, and that's when, the like all of a sudden it becomes a comedy or something, <laughs> yes.
0: Because <laughs> Fantasy Island was basically I don't know, I don't even know what to like, ca- like categorize the original Fantasy Island TV show, but they <laughs> turned it into a, a horror <laughs> film, it definitely wasn't a horror
1: film. <laughs> I don't know, it again, just mixed bag, mixed bag. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Well, up next, Patty Jenkins' Star Wars Rogue Squadron gets its writer. So yes, a story from The Hollywood Reporter is saying that Matthew Robinson has been hired to work on a script for the next Star Wars feature. said that Robinson's already begun working on it, uh, which is expected to enter pre-production later this year before principal photography begins sometime next year. Uh, Robinson is known for films like Love and Monsters, uh, Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which I actually saw with my daughter and it it wasn't too bad uh and he also co-wrote and directed the invention of lying alongside ricky gervais star wars rogue squadron is set to be released december 22nd 2023 you also forgot his hit film monster trucks great movie (laughs) great movie did you actually see it
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> I, I watched enough of the, like, previews to know. Man, when <laughs> they first announced this
0: film, I was so excited, especially with, like, Patty Jenkins on board. Mm-hmm. But that's before Wonder Woman, like, 84. And now I'm I'm kind of nervous i'll be honest <laughs> so.
1: could it be our first disney dc crossover though could we see like wonder woman
0: flying through space somewhere that's, I-, I don't put it past them that is horrible <laughs> i don't I, I, I would think you'd get a star wars like marvel crossover before a dc yeah right well. <laughs> that's an awful idea christian once again <laughs> thank god you're in charge of nothing
1: <laughs> i put out all these awful ideas because eventually one of them is going to happen and it's okay, be why would you want that i don't know don't put that uh... shit out of the universe man <laughs> it's what i'm known for DC star
0: wars crossover <laughs> all right christian this week we got the trailer for don't breathe Two.
1: me you need to be scared of little girl but the man standing next to you now i don't know who he is but i know who he's not should i tell her you
0: so apparently it's a couple years after the first film and uh norman nordstrom Right, correct, Norman yep, Norbstrom? correct. Yes. The uh, blind murdering machine is back. Uh, <laughs> this time he's has a young girl who seems to be living with him. Very concerning. <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> I'm so confused on what's going on here because this trailer really does set him up as like the hero of the film, mm-hmm. where the first film, there's no doubt he's the villain. Like, he's a fucking monster, right? He's, yeah. he's keeping a woman captive in his basement and trying to impregnate her to, like, like bring back his daughter? Yes. Okay, I, I'm that remembering was the plot. this right, that's, right? That's correct. <laughs> there wasn't some kind of twist or something I nope. missed out on, okay? Okay. That was the twist. So, but now, for some somehow, he has a young girl living with him. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's a relative or something, but it looks like a group of, I don't know thugs or assassins come to his house I don't know if they're looking for Norman or if they're there just for the girl but it looks like the girl gets kidnapped um in the beginning it seems like Norman's training the girl we see his mm-hmm. dog chasing after her um, she goes for like you know some gun that's sitting in a car and he sneaks up behind her and he tells her that she failed so
1: yeah it was weird
0: (laughs) like i said i have no idea what's happening here but but it definitely seems like this whole film is going to be about norman trying to get the girl back somehow and getting revenge against this group of you know thugs um are we supposed to be rooting
2: for him
1: i don't know (laughs) i feel like it's going to be one of those situations where they're going to play him up as a hero throughout the film And then maybe in the end they show a truth that he's actually you know kidnapped this girl and they're just taking him back
0: yes yeah right like maybe he kidnapped her at a young age and she doesn't Mm -hmm. realize it you know and that he's really the monster here which is pretty fucking creepy so like maybe he's like he kidnapped her to like replace his daughter because that's kind of what he was trying to do in the first film by trying to impregnate the woman who he had Uh held captive um but because the, one of the like, guys breaking into his house does say something like, you don't know who he is. You know, he's the one you should be scared of. Yes. So, yeah, I'd get, it has to be that, right? Because they can't really seriously want us to root for him. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Here's this rapist monster, right? Because was rape He was rape her, right? No. Or, yeah, he was. Or he's trying to inject her with his. Seat. I mean, it's 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 either much, way. Yeah, same thing, right? <laughs> it's horrible semantics at yes, that point. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> it's fucking awful. Um, yeah. So this is written by uh, Fede Alvarez, who directed the first film, and the first film was fantastic. I loved mm. the first film. um This one's got me scratching my head a little um i also thought the trailer showed us way too much yes showed us you know showed him taking out a lot of these guys um and that you know that whole first film was based on like tension and suspense of like him basically getting the drop on these people you know them being like put into his element um So, to sit there and like turn around and show us exactly how he's going to like basically defeat all these henchmen, because there weren't that many of them, um, mm-hmm. feels like you're kind of taking all the suspense out of the scenes for when you actually sit down and watch this movie it almost felt like a blind
1: john wick trailer like that's what i was getting the vibe from. because i mean like with an action film like that you know that there's plenty more kills that you're not going to be able to see but in this i mean this just looks like he's just killed every single person we saw in that first moment
0: and maybe there's a a whole fucking army of these guys (laughs) i don't don't know know. um but okay you know i'm gonna check (laughs) this out because i love the first film Mm-hmm. But I'm definitely like torn about seeing this guy as the protagonist. I gotta imagine
1: that Fede you know, probably has a good idea of where he wants this character to go. If that's why he's still on the project, otherwise, I would, you know, going off this trailer would have thought, yeah, this is a studio that saw the first one, said, hey, that guy's badass. Let's make mm-hmm. an action film out of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Stephen Lang was great in the first movie, so I'm mm-hmm. happy to see him back in this. Um, I'm wondering if this is going to be some kind of like, you know, they're going to try to give him some kind of redemption arc. Um, I don't see how that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe what we thought we knew about the first film wasn't true somehow. I mean, I don't see how, but like, maybe, you know, we were no. misinformed.
1: <laughs> no, he was going to chain her up at the end of that movie right? and start over okay. again. Like, that not, was the plan. I was, like, <laughs> I was
0: like, Am I confused? Like, did I, uh, am I just, like, forgetting a big part of this film? Like, you know, the first film?
1: No. You're not confused, I guarantee you. He was a monster. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, even seeing the little girl with the dog made my skin crawl. Because there's Uh that whole fucking Cujo, like, scene. Where the dog has, you know, the woman, like, cornered in the car. So, (laughs) I was like, that dog will fucking tear you to pieces. Yeah. And the little girl's, like, petting him. I don't know, man. I don't know. It should be interesting. (laughs) All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's talk Loki, episode
2: four, the Nexus event. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Marvel's Loki ahead. You have been warned. What is this? You'll see. (coughs) Mobius! Okay, let him one last desperate trick from the Desperate Trickster. Go ahead. The TVA is lying to you.
1: Well, this episode was one hell of a ride and we kick off this roller coaster of emotions with kid Sylvie just playing with some toys on what must be her version of Asgard, only to be quickly placed under arrest by a past version of Ravana Renslayer with no reason really being made of why she's being taken by the TVA. Sylvie having gone through the same process as Loki, finds herself before the judge and attempts a successful escape after nabbing our young Ravana's tempad.
0: Did it feel like Ravana just kind of let her escape here?
1: Yeah, I mean she just kinda watched her get away. There was no chase or anything. She just kinda twisted her arm and boom, gone.
0: I thought it was like bizarre. Mm. Like I was like, you gotta have quicker reflexes than that. I mean, maybe that's why she's like writing her desk now. <laughs> Probably. You know, not not an active agent or, you know, a Minuteman or whatever. Uh, minute man. So Minutemen? Minuteman? Minuteman. That is Minutemen, minute but it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyway, we get our first look at the timekeepers as the show cuts back to Ravonna now going to see them. However, we don't hear from them and we don't find out what happened during their meeting until she runs into Mobius, waiting for her outside. To say the least, they're pretty pissed about what happened with the two Lokis escaping. Mobius seems to be really here to get an interview with C20, the agent Sylvie kidnapped back before the Roxcart incident. And after prying at a reluctant Ravonna, it seems that they may have actually pruned C20 stating that her mind was simply too far gone after dealing with sylvie
0: so i think this is like the first real solid clue that mobius has that ravana is lying i think he had his like suspicions before but you could tell by the way he's like questioning her that like he's kind of calling bullshit. Mm. um like really like that how what you know how is this possible <laughs> you know she was fine before so like it and you know i don't know yeah i mean she does not have the best poker face
1: either throughout this episode like she very much seems like she's lying I don't know if it's just performance-wise or what, but that I mean it just didn't feel like she was hiding it that well at all. Back on Lamentus 1, we see our two Loki's discussing life at what seems like the end of time. Sylvie here is telling her past, you know, with the TVA, you know, how she got kidnapped and everything by them, and how she had to survive as they hunted her down as she went from universe to universe, time to time. Eventually just learning that she could live within these apocalypse events, which is pretty brutally depressing to think about. She goes on to say that she believes her mere existence warranted their hunt as you know, the universe kind of created her, the goddess of chaos, to help break the timeline free from the grasp of the timekeepers. Meanwhile, the TVA is desperately searching for our two Lokis across the timeline, in a moment that was actually kind of surprising for me, as it seems like they've actually secured um, the sacred timeline, uh, you know, made it all stable once again after that huge bombing.
0: Yeah, like, how's the timeline stable here? I because, don't like, know. <laughs> because in Episode 2, it looked like shit was about to get crazy, mm-hmm. and now here, at least on this monitor, it looks like things have completely, like, I don't know, stabilized so like was this only supposed to be like a momentary distraction by sylvie to get to the timekeepers I, you know was that not as big of a deal as we thought it was
1: well i don't think so because i mean just like in our last scene you know they're she's talking about how her purpose is to destroy the timeline so i'm guessing you know that was supposed to be a big part of it while she was also going after the timekeepers but I don't know if the TVA was just on top of it or maybe because, I mean, during this moment, the screen is specifically looking at um, apocalypse events. And we see the names of different events that are going on on the actual Mm. screen. So maybe it's like narrowed down to these apocalypse events. That's my only that's an excuse,
0: though, not an actual (laughs) like reasoning. Yeah, because I'm wondering if, you know. Her whole idea of breaking the timeline, you know, the sacred timeline Mm -hmm. was really just about getting to the timekeepers and murdering them. So like that was really what she was going for, where the time bombs just kind of like just open that door and give her that, you know, give her that opportunity.
1: I just hope that I, I feel like she wouldn't have it so narrow, you know, I think like she would have a bigger scale, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. That's like I said, I mean, in episode two, I thought like (laughs) shit was about to go down. So I was surprised by this scene.
1: While B-15 and Mobius look throughout the timeline, they notice a massive spike from Lamentus 1, while our two Lokis seem to be embracing in a moment that looks to be, you know, the end for both of them. However, the TVA wasn't going to allow that and opens up two portals as our Loki's final saving grace back into the firm grasp of imprisonment. I mean, what an
0: arrogant son of a bitch. Of course, Loki would fall in uh-huh. love with himself. <laughs> 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 How ridiculous is that? Um, but yeah, no. I so like I'm totally confused on how this would like cause a nexus event. Like if they're about to die, like wouldn't it not matter at all?
1: I, I I'm going to assume that's going to be a big part of how this show kind of closes out. But um, you know, it's the power of love, Damon. And, you know, it's it it Trump trumps Christian. all. <laughs> trumps all.
0: Pump the fucking brakes, buddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, love's great and everything like that, but a nexus of that, like, like, was something about to happen that would cause them to survive then? Uh, we don't
1: know because they stole it from us. Uh, cause I, that's why I was wondering. I was like, are, are the two of them being with each other going to stop everything that's happening? Like, I don't. And,
0: and if that's not the case, then why not just let them die? Uh-huh. I, I don't you know, know. Unless they weren't sure what was going on, so they had to go there anyway. To figure out why, you know, there was this event happening.
1: I mean, it so. was like
0: skyrocketing to the like, yes, um, yes. no point of so return. To... Yeah, so they had to check it out regardless, I guess. So I can, okay, I can logically, I can make sense of that. Man. I'm starting to get a headache again, though, Christian. Fucking multiverse insanity.
1: Maybe of madness.
0: Oh Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Carry on.
1: Back in their collars, our two Lokis are separated and Mobius is still pretty pissed at 2012 Loki, as in typical fashion, Loki did backstab him. Before Mobius um, puts Loki in another portal to you know wherever, um, he actually does attempt to tell the truth about the TVA to Mobius, stating that they are lying to him, but it's not enough to get Mobius who feels that he can't trust a literal god of trickery to
0: believe him. I do love the fact, though, that Loki had his feelings hurt by the amount of guards he had compared uh-huh. to like Sylvie. <laughs> that might have been one of my favorite parts of this episode, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's a fantastic episode. But I love that moment. Like, I love the relationship between like Mobius and Loki. Um, they, have, I mean, the, both characters have great chemistry uh-huh. together. But at the same time, it unless Loki's like working an angle. He feels a little too loyal to Mobius here. You know, like, the relationship is on this, like, other level for some reason. So you where... th- you feel
1: like they've built a friendship too quickly?
0: Yes. Like, it, it doesn't feel organic to me. It feels a little too, like, rushed. Like, you know, artificial. Does that make sense? No, I hear what you're saying, because I've, I've felt like that has happened in a couple of the Marvel shows. But
1: here, I, I don't know. I... I see Loki still growing constantly throughout this, and it's been... I I do think the pace of Loki's growth has been a little all over the place throughout
0: this show. like accelerated, right? Because, like, I mean, this is still the Loki right after the events of the first Avengers film. So, and I know, like, he just witnessed himself... Basically, he had his entire life flash before his eyes, and, you know, he watched himself grow you know, on a screen, but he still watched himself grow. And I don't know if that just, like, kickstarted something in him that was already there. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Like, the relationship feels just a little too strong. You know, especially in this moment. Yeah. Because in, like, the second episode, when he goes through the door, I was like, oh, he's just trying to, like, escape. But then I was kind of questioning with, like, last episode, like, oh, is he really trying to still carry out his mission, you know, for the Mm -hmm. TVA? So I, I don't know. And it seems like that's the case here with him giving this information to Mobius, like he generally cares for him. And maybe like, that's just how he is as a person, like at his core. And he, you know, he hides it with this, you know, bravado and yeah <laughs> all this like <laughs> super villainy, um, you know, and he's like, actually like, I don't know, coming out of his shell, like his true self. Um, but I doubt it, right? Like, he's still Loki. <laughs> Maybe the power of love is changing Oh, him. will you shut up? You're, you're
2: not
1: seeing the full picture here. <laughs> Huey Lewis over uh-huh. here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Loki then finds himself in a time loop and we get the return of Lady Sif after Loki has apparently cut her hair. Um, With a knee to the balls and a punch to the face, our Loki gets taken down over and over as he pleads with Lady Sif. It is important to notice that we haven't
0: seen Lady Sif since actually um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, it was nice to see Lady Sif, like even if it was just in a memory loop. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that she has a role in like Thor Love and Thunder um you know that they you know try to squeeze her in somehow uh because her presence has definitely been like missing like over the last like five years
1: yeah it's it's definitely weird to see thor without her involved like how she wasn't anywhere in ragnarok didn't make any sense yeah
0: right and then we don't see her in endgame no yeah you know on like you know earth's version of asgard so i mean maybe she was off doing like a mission like during ragnarok like she's off planet i guess I don't know.
1: I don't remember if they made an off comment about the Warriors 3 dying or something during, like, Infinity War. I don't remember. I feel like something was said, but who
0: knows? Well, didn't we see, like, one of them die during Ragnarok? I think. Either Ragnarok or Infinity War. Yeah, no, I I am gonna have to go back and rewatch Mobius now. Uh-huh. Huh? Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Twist my arm. Woe is me.
1: <laughs> Outside this loop, Mobius goes to Ravana, itching to get a moment with Sylvie, who he deems the real mastermind behind their attack on the timeline and TVA. However, Renslayer, who seems clearly frazzled by this request, attempts to discourage Mobius and only allow him to go after our Loki. Mobius is still, you know, a hard man to deter though, as he takes a quick stop by Sylvie's cell, only to find a distressed B-15 and several other guards surrounding the door. In a moment of reflection, Mobius kind of gives us an idea of all the threats that they've dealt with over time, even mentioning that they have gone up against the Kree, Titans, and our first, you know, actual statement of vampires.
0: Yeah, pretty cool moment, I mean, it is confirmation that vampires exist in mm. the MCU, but at the same time, I mean, we do know that there's a Blade film coming out yeah. <laughs> in the next couple of years. So, I mean, we, we pretty much knew that information, but still a cool moment. It's just fun to mention it, at least, like you're connecting uh-huh. everything. You
1: know, it's just yeah. the tissue. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Not being able to get anything on Sylvie, Mobius returns to the task at hand, which is interrogating Loki about what happened on Lamentus 1. Loki again shows us a moment of growth during his final pleas of mercy with Lady Sif, you know, stating how he is a narcissist and truly alone. Immediately following this, Mobius begins to get what he thinks is the truth out of Loki, and Loki attempts to vaguely take credit for the entire plan. But what quickly becomes apparent to Mobius is that Loki has kind of fallen for Sylvie, and that a moment that they were sharing on Lamentis is what caused the powerful spike. Frustrated by the games they are playing with one another, Loki again attempts to tell the truth about the TVA and its agents to Mobius. But while Mobius does seem a tad bit bothered by this information, he doesn't fully accept what Loki has to say, and after all why would he trust him? but I think this scene has a lot of implications for the rest of the season as a whole. What kind of power can two or more Lokis have when working together? Is only a Loki able to save and or break apart the timeline? Yeah, once again,
0: this whole season is one big therapy session though, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, this time it's Loki on the couch. Um, I love that Loki is out Loki by Mobius here though. Mm-hmm. Like once Mobius like really senses that Loki has feelings for Sylvie. He, right away he says that you know they pruned her and like he could see him getting upset and he knows you know okay I've got him where I want him um, it's still fucking creepy though that he's yeah. basically in love with himself but hey <laughs> <I
1: hate that. laughs> it, it was great um, facial though like facial acting from Hiddleston here because I mean like you see that he's really trying to constrain uh-huh. that his like
0: feelings for Sylvia are there and Mobius sees right uh-huh. through it and goes for the juggler I mean, um, hey, man, I guess Sylvie is very much her own person, though. Yeah. Like, she's lived a very different life, you know? So it is what it is. I'm not judging. <laughs> <laughs> they have a huge ship. Like, a lot of people are behind it. <laughs> as creepy Whatever. as it is. Yes, <laughs> the internet's a creepy place, Christian. Yes. So I don't know if that matters much. Yeah, let's not forget about Raylo, Christian. Uh-huh. <laughs> Single-handedly ruined a movie for me, so... <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> While Mobius is having a hard time with the truth of the TVA, it seems B-15 has been struggling with some thoughts of her own, ever since a couple episodes ago when she got possessed in Roxcart. B-15 gets into Sylvie's holding chamber, and instead of just deleting her from existence, she opens a portal to talk to Sylvie alone outside of Roxcart. Here B-15 asks if what she had saw in her head was real, meaning that Sylvie, similar to what she had did with C-20, had used memories of B-15's true past
0: outside the TVA to actually take control of her. I mean, what a great moment here. You could see the heartbreak on her face Mm -hmm. as she realizes like her whole world is a lie and that she actually had a life before this. I mean, just, just a great scene.
1: Back at the TVA, Mobius goes to see Ravana to close out his investigation with Loki, but he still seems to be questioning a lot about the investigation. Ravana tries to calm Mobius, stating the real reason she didn't let him see Sylvie was to protect him after what she had, you know, done to C twenty. But it still doesn't seem right. And while Ravana is turned away, Mobius actually replaces her tempad with his own.
0: Yeah, definitely some chess being played here mm-hmm. between the two. Well, you could tell that Mobius isn't buying it anymore even with like Ravana trying to like sweet talk him.
1: Just not enough things are adding up at this point, you know, and and I think a lot of their conversations with Loki himself has worn on him to this point. I think we've seen a lot of, Like the the combination of him dealing with Loki and having to face the reality of what he's, you know, in, I think has all added up to these moments. And I thought that was it's been a great accumulation to this episode. While in the library, Mobius gets confirmation of what Loki has been stating after watching a recording of C-20 professing that she had a life before the TVA. Mobius now with the truth runs to free Loki from his time loop. And right as our buddy cops get reunited, Ravana shows up with some guards to stop Mobius and Loki. Mobius, after failing to convince Ravana that they accidentally swapped 10 pads, breaks down and tells her the truth of how he feels and that he really just wants to go back to the life he had before the TVA and maybe, for God's sakes, ride a jet ski. But heartbreakingly so, he meets his demise as Ravana has him pruned from existence.
0: So, yeah, man, I was so excited to see, like, Loki and Mobius, like, back on the same Mm -hmm. page, teaming up. I mean, I think the series really shines, even though I questioned the relationship before when these two guys are in the same scene together. But, like, unfortunately, it was short-lived because... (laughs) Man, she just fucking prunes him out of nowhere. Yeah. I literally let out a yell when he's pruned. <laughs> like, I'm going to be so annoyed if this is the last we see of Mobius, but I can't imagine that.
1: Yeah, it was it was a heartbreaking scene. Um, at the same time, for some reason, my girlfriend kept bringing up, why does he want to ride a jet ski so much? So I had to navigate those waters while I'm also feeling.
0: <laughs> That's why I don't watch this shit. Like I know, anyone, right?
1: <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with like keeping
0: anyone up to speed. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, why wouldn't you want to ride a jet ski? Exactly. Right? Good times. I don't, I don't know what's going on with there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Loki and Sylvie, now under Ravana's custody, are taken to the Timekeepers finally. On their way up there, Sylvie asks if Ravana remembers her and if she knows why this all even started with her capture as a child. Ravana smugly and brutally claims she can't remember, but that statement doesn't seem true just based off the look on her face. But with that said, we enter our climactic scene as our Lokis have an audience with the Timekeepers. This meeting doesn't remain civil long as the Timekeepers rush to execute the Lokis, but before they can, B 15 arrives and releases both of them from their collars. A battle ensues with Loki fighting the guards and Sylvie taking on Ravana herself after B 15 was knocked out. The fighting really comes to an end when Sylvie decapitates one of the timekeepers, which only seems to make the other two laugh in unison before slumping over. Loki is quick to point out the robotic head left over from the timekeeper before Sylvie continues her
0: rampage. First of all, I couldn't understand a damn thing these timekeepers were saying. Oh yeah. (laughs) Could you understand them?
1: I could,
0: but I had to like, you know, pause and
1: like, you know, go back a couple times.
0: Uh, But anyway, I mean, a really nice action sequence. Uh, I love B-15 making the save and we got what we suspected all along. It definitely feels like the timekeepers don't exist at all.
1: Lost and confused, Loki attempts to understand what they should do next and how he seems to feel for Sylvie. Before he can get his words out, he is pruned by Ravana Renslayer.
0: Yeah, it was like this moment here where my brain just started to melt, like thinking, holy shit, they just fucking pruned Loki and there's two episodes Mm. left. Like, what does that mean? Like, is Sylvie the lead now? Like, I mean, (laughs) but then soon to find out, that's not the end of our Loki at all.
1: Before the show cuts to the credits, Sylvie is able to disarm Ravana, But what does the future hold? Well, maybe our first mid-credit scene can give us an idea as we see Loki waking up to see not one, but three other versions of himself, including one of my personal favorites, Kid Loki. This is also the first moment seeing anything of a life beyond pruning, as we were made to believe, like many other lies from the TVA, that you are simply erased from existence.
0: Though, who knows, maybe the other Loki somehow summoned our variants before he was fully pruned. So, like, I don't think this is actually, like, the TVA lying about pruning. I think this is more of a case of the TVA maybe, like, being in the dark, what, like, pruning actually is. Um, if I, that's even the case here, like, could this also hmm. be, like, the after effects of the, you know, time bombs that, you know, Sylvie set off? You know, that's somehow, like, it created, hmm. like, this, like, kind of limbo or something. Um It's interesting because, like, the backdrop that they're in is, like, you see the Avengers Tower, so I don't know if they're, like, in New York, like, if, like, Loki actually ended up winning. You know, are they in, like, some kind of broken timeline, and that's why all these different variants are existing, you know, together, like, after they possibly Mm have been pruned? So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. This was a fantastic episode. I'm not surprised that we've got more, you know, questions than answers right now. Uh, with two episodes still left. I love Richard E. Grant rocking the old-school Loki costume. I mean, super comic book-like accurate from back in the day. Um, Just perfect fucking casting. I mean, like you said, we get Kid Loki. Um, And then maybe Alligator Loki? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a Pets or what. I mean, we did get, like, uh, a Frog Thor at mm-hmm. one point in the 80s. You know, it was... Brief, but I mean, maybe that you know the alligators from that timeline. I don't know. Um, and then from looking at the credits, the other Loki is supposed to be boastful Loki. Um, he's holding some version of like Mjolnir here. Hmm. So I have no, I, I I got no clue like what Loki that is. So <laughs> you know where he comes in in the comics. I'm not sure if it's a reference to a character in the comics. I have no clue what version of Loki that's supposed to be. I don't recall that from the comics, but I guess we'll, you know, once again, have to wait
1: and see. So, I mean, last week we were talking about how much they had really slowed down the pace just to focus on these two characters. Did you appreciate how this episode really just hit the ground running and
0: was like, bang, 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 this is what's going on? And I feel like they could have, like, consolidated last week's episode into like, maybe 20 minutes. Gotcha. And then just added to this episode. If they wanted to, (laughs) honestly. Um, But no, I definitely, I think this was probably the best episode of the whole season Mm -hmm. so far. It's definitely feeling more and more like we're going to get like an appearance by Kang. Even a couple of the timekeepers looked a little like Kang S to me. So, and I could see Kang's the kind of character who wouldn't be able to resist like, you know, using his likeness somehow, Mm -hmm. even though he's supposed to be hiding. Which is very like narcissistic, you know. Or Loki-like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. But yeah, and even if they don't go the route of using Kang, I could see them like using one of the different versions of him. Meaning, like you know, in the comics, there's been like multiple versions of that character going by different names throughout the years, like Immortus or uh, Ramatut. Or even, like, Iron Lad, which I don't think they'll go the Iron Lad route. I'm sure they'll save that for when they eventually do, like, a Young Avengers, you know, series. And even if, you know, we're wrong, I still feel like we're going to get, like, a major Easter egg, like, pointing towards the coming of Kang. Uh, I'm just having a hard time, like, wrapping my head around who else could be behind, you know, the creation of the TVA and this whole, like, grand scheme of the sacred timeline and everything if it isn't Kang, it's definitely someone who's extremely powerful. I mean, a lot of people have been floating around that it could be like an evil version, an
1: extra evil version of Loki. Yeah. That somehow got in control of it. I'm hoping that it's not going to be, you know, Ravana in the end somehow. I hope it doesn't become a twist
0: like that. I, I, you know what? They might, I could see them doing something like that, but then, like, you know, hints that, you know, someone's working with her and that could mm-hmm. be, you know, our little tip or nod to, like, the coming of Kang. Like, that I'm would be Because we, we know Kang is, you know, showing up in Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, no, I could see that happening and that would be a little deflating. I, I agree, but I think it would lead to Kang at least. I do kind of like the idea of an evil, like, version of Loki, like, playing the ultimate game of chess. Um, I mean it's a really fucked up game <laughs> I mean pruning these timelines And everything uh, But like like, do we get to see The Loki who actually like wins That'd be cool um, I think that'd be
1: an interesting Loki to meet Especially since we haven't seen him just yet I think there was one from the trailers That has like the full horns walking around That we still haven't seen in the show So I'd be interested to see that Is that
0: the one that looks like he's running for office With like yeah, the campaign kind of. buttons uh, and everything yeah, I think he's showing up next episode that's my guess so I mean there's um, only two episodes left so
1: <laughs> you never know 50, I mean, we 50 could see right? a, like a rampage of multiple lokis here at the end out of nowhere <laughs> do you think this is a whole like world made up of lokis maybe it's just a it's world war loki on this planet <laughs> I like it <laughs> that'd be fun <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I still kind of want to know, like, what um, Hulk Loki is like <laughs> that we saw earlier. Yeah, right. So, what do you think <laughs> Sylvie's gonna end up doing? I don't know at this point because I mean, she'll be still in the TVA. Yeah, she's got Ravana. Hmm. I guess she's gonna have to interrogate Ravana and find out the truth. I mean, I'm I'm assuming she's gonna be probably taking out some revenge on Ravana and trying to get more information
0: of what's really going on. And I'm sure we're going to finally get some answers on what like caused the Nexus like event in her timeline, Mm -hmm. like why she was being pruned. Um,
1: you know, in that moment where it seems like Loki's about to confess to her that he loves her, it didn't really, I didn't get the vibe that she had the same feelings.
0: I, I think she was just confused on what the hell he was doing. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Maybe not because once again it is a little weird
1: (laughs) but yeah with them being together causing that massive rift earlier on i just don't know if it's a it's if it's the as i said the power of love or if it's just the power of two (laughs) loki's chaos combining that could possibly split the timeline
0: that could be it you know maybe those two coming together that's Mm -hmm. what ends up breaking you know, the timeline and, and maybe that's what ends up causing all the insanity with the multiverse that we know mm-hmm. we're going to be dealing with for at least the next couple of phases. It feels like at least
1: I just, they got to make some explanation as to why the timeline is still looking normal, at least from the TVA's perspective. But, um, I, I, I Otherwise, I, I feel like episode two was the perfect moment to really start the madness as we were you know discussing. So I
0: don't know. Yeah, but I'm okay with that just being a diversion also mm-hmm. to get to the timekeepers as long as it's explained. But I guess we'll find out in the next two weeks yeah because i mean anything
1: could really happen at this point and we still don't know how like scarlet witch is going to play into the multiverse of madness we don't know how spider-man at this point yeah it's so much it's so many little things from everything and we could speculate for hours uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah and i don't think
0: like once again this we're not going to have all the answers at the end uh-huh. of this series there's no. no way and we don't want that right <laughs> yeah i guess not. <laughs> so it's gonna be okay they've got to save something for the fucking films right oh, yeah
1: they do they do
0: today's podcast is presented by pago Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about PodGo. PodGo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for
1: ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from
0: PodGo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's PodGo.co. At podgo.co. And let them know the nerd sent you by
1: adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo
0: section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at podgo.co. All right, well, it's
1: time for some Bad Batch talk. We're talking Episode 9 Bounty Lost.
2: Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Star Wars The Bad Batch ahead. You have been warned. If I'm as valuable as you say, Lama Su will keep sending bounty hunters after me.
0: He can send everyone in the galaxy. You have us. Alright, so Episode 9, Bounty Loss, was another solid show uh, with some great action and some huge reveals. Uh, We start off the episode with the Bad Batch escaping the scrapper planet with Crosshair in hot pursuit. Uh, They finally do shake him when they hit hyperspace. Uh, I will say, Crosshair seemed in a lot better shape than he did last episode, which is strange because not much time has passed at all. I mean, maybe a couple moments. But if you remember last episode, we are speculating that that point blast from the engine to the face would not only take away his skills as a marksman but maybe his value to the empire but at least here that doesn't seem to be the truth I mean he still feels like that bloodthirsty psychopath we've come to love and that pretty much does it for crosshair in this episode to be
1: fair he is just sitting in the back of the ship barking orders he doesn't he doesn't do using any of his skills at that moment I guess but he was on like a respirator So he shouldn't be flying anything.
0: (laughs) Maybe he just picked
1: it up and threw it onto the ship. I mean, he is a go-getter, right? (laughs) I guess.
0: I'm sure next episode we'll see the extent, the true extent of Mm -hmm. his injuries. Maybe it was just adrenaline. So anyway... After the Bad Batch escape, uh, we meet up with Omega, who's in a cell on Cad Bane's ship. Uh, There's a brief interaction between the two. They did make a point to show a metal plate on Cad Bane's head under his hat. Uh, It was absolutely something they were trying to draw attention to. So I'm sure we'll find out the story behind it sooner than later. Um, If I was going to speculate, I would say maybe it's you know some kind of nod or callback to that duel that we never saw between uh, Boba Fett and Bane. Uh, You know something. That never made into Clone Wars, but I think was potentially shot. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, hopefully we do get to see that moment in a flashback at some point. If not here, maybe in the book of Boba. You gotta
1: imagine they know most people like have seen or, or like at least looked into like every little aspect of Clone Wars at this point. So maybe you know they just wanted to play with
0: that that possible past that he's had. mm Hmm. Yeah. So later on, we see Bane communicating with the uh, Kaminoans. They're setting up a rendezvous point. They make sure to tell Bane that they want Omega back alive. We do find out that Nalase wants to be the one to retrieve Omega from Bane. Uh, but Lama denies the request, saying he knows her feelings for Omega. Uh, Lama Su's intentions are to extract the material that he needs from Omega and then simply terminate her. So he sends Ton Wee, who's from Attack of the Clones, uh, in her place to get the job done so this is some real cold-hearted shit but once again it's all in the name of starting their phase 3 program and convincing the empire that they actually still need this army I just don't quite understand why they think another you know clone of Jango Fett is going to do the trick and we'll talk about it more when we get to the big reveal this episode but I'm guessing there's just something that we don't know about these phase 3 clones yet So back to Omega. uh, She ends up duping Bane's droid into letting her out of her cell and then, of course, escaping. And then we're back with the Bad Batch with Tack dropping a huge reveal on us. uh, Kind of nonchalantly, as we kind of expected he would. (laughs) But yeah, he lets us know that he's done further research on Omega's DNA. And what makes her so special is she has first-generation DNA of Jango Fett. So this goes a long way into, like, explaining why the Kaminoans are trying so hard to get Omega back since she's the purest sample that they have to work with. I mean, really, she's one of two, but I doubt they want to go after Boba Fett, right? But I mean, regardless of what the Kaminoans want, I feel like Boba Fett's showing up in this series, especially now knowing that he has close ties with Omega. I mean, she's really the closest thing to a sister he's got. Which is definitely crazy. I didn't think we were going to be establishing, you know, more family members in
1: the FET you know, universe yeah. <laughs> in this show. But, you know, it, I, it makes sense. You know, I think we, we speculated earlier on, like, could this be another daughter or something like that um, of uh, Django's. But, you know, this is this is interesting. Um, I, I don't know why we're so set. On Jango Fett um, being the main clone? Yeah, that's
0: kind of what I was getting at. Like, Mm -hmm. even if this is, like, the closest thing to Jango's DNA that, you know, the Kaminoans can get their hands on, why do they think this is going to convince the Empire to keep the clone army going? You know, like, I mean, there has to be something else. Mm -hmm. Like, either they've enhanced her somehow, or they plan on enhancing her and splicing her DNA with something else that, like, it, like her only her dna will possibly like you know work with because otherwise like i feel like the empire is still going to be underwhelmed because it's not like the other clones are defective you know so they're just kind of done with the idea of clones
1: yeah i don't i don't know where they're going with it when you really think of it that way i don't i don't understand like You think they would be like oh we got to find either the best fighter in the world or you know some genetic freak out there to make clones of and that will get you know them more enticed and interested in our forces instead of something that we've already seen you know while it has been effective in the eyes of the republic yeah the empires you know they're done they're trying to phase you guys out for a reason
0: yeah it really seems like they want to have a legion of you know, citizens from across the galaxy who are like fanatics and are indoctrinated and loyal to the Empire. Which has plenty of its own
1: flaws. I mean, we've seen plenty of Star Wars stories along the on along the way where all the rebels come from being, you know, the Empire beforehand. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
0: it's a weird plan, both ways. Because even the Empire and like Tarkin's like dislike for the clones doesn't make much sense to me. No. <laughs> because they're the whole reason why they were able to overthrow the Jedi and the Republic mm-hmm. in the first place. So what's the, I, I don't get it. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Like, originally, I thought it was going to be something where the clones eventually rebel. And that's why the Empire gets rid of them. You know, Mm -hmm. they overcome their, you know, their chips. Um, But that's not the case here. Like, they, you know, they're just the Empire wants to move on. And I guess it's cost effective. I forgot about that angle. Yes. You know, that... (laughs) Which isn't as sexy as, like, you know, some other theories out there, but like, you know, Tarkin's trying to build the Death Star. He wants to put all the resources towards the Death Star. So if you have this giant program that's costing all this money, you're wasting resources when you can just like harvest these citizens and, you know, have them join your fascist cause. Yeah, but you can also just enslave
1: the Kaminoans. Uh, to make clones for you, you can make the clones be the labor force for the Death Star. You can, I mean, there's there's a lot of
0: loopholes. And don't they have scientists who can handle this? Like, yes, right. <laughs> Just make the Kaminoans teach your scientists how to do this, and we see in the Mandalorian, they're still fucking around with clones. Yeah, you know. So I don't know. I guess hopefully they have answers for us somewhere in this series. So meanwhile, back on the ship, Omega's being chased by Bane after being discovered. Uh, She does manage to get her comlink working enough to let the bad batch know her location. And then we get the surprise return of Fennec, who's trying to also get her hands on Omega. But anyway, the two bounty hunters have a great battle over the girl. Uh, I was really surprised that Fennec not only holds her own, but actually gets the upper hand against Bane. I mean, Bane at least during the Clone Wars, was one of the top bounty hunters in the galaxy. So, like, how skilled is Fennec, actually? And, like, maybe that's why they kept on, like, making a point to show Bane's injury, that he's, like, in a weakened state. Or maybe Fennec is just that much of a badass. And that's saying a lot because Bane was able to pretty much take down Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars. So, I mean, I don't know, pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, Fennec just looked like a real big badass in this scene, I appreciated it. So I really thought we're gonna discover here that Fennec was working actually for Boba Fett. Uh, but instead, we find out that she's, she's been hired by Nala Se uh, in order to keep Omega away from Lamasu. So there's definitely some dirty pull happening between the Kaminoans. Also, during the battle, we see more clones and test tubes. One of the tubes does actually break with the clone, like, falling out. And for a moment, I was completely terrified that it was Snoke. Um, but thankfully, it looks like it was just another one of the Kaminoans for some reason.
1: Yeah, I never put it, like, two and two together. Why, like like how their society might work you know like they actually just clone one another probably to like continue on living i never really thought about that i just thought oh then just make clones. i guess their society (laughs)
0: started to do cloning as a way to survive their Mm -hmm. their planet's changing environment is the idea Ah, and then they became like masters Mm -hmm. of cloning so yeah i i guess that's the deal I believe I read that somewhere. (laughs) But the episode wraps up with Omega eventually escaping in one of the ship's pods uh, and making it back to the Bad Batch. Uh, Then we see Finnick talking to Nala Se, who does tell her to no longer pursue uh, Omega as long as she's safe with the clones. The episode ends with Omega clearly shaken. She knows that the Kaminoans won't stop pursuing her as long as she's alive. Hunter tries to reassure her that she's safe and that they'll protect her no matter what. I mean, it was a nice moment there. Um, I did I did appreciate that
1: Omega brings up, like, you know, it's not possible for you to protect me from everyone. Uh, especially after, you know, she just got kidnapped. Yeah. So I'm glad that it wasn't this very... I feel like that's what separates this from a lot of other kid shows, where it's just like, of course, I'll be safe in your hands now that I'm here, you know? No, she she realizes the amount of danger she's actually she's in. She's showing
0: signs of trauma. So, yes, yes it's mm-hmm. a little more realistic. Do you think we're going to have a moment where she actually gives herself up to the Kaminoans to protect the Bad Batch?
1: Um, I could totally see that happening. Um, Where she kind of surrenders. Yeah, a self-sacrifice moment from her, I can totally see, you know, being a part of it. I was actually surprised in this episode, we didn't get little glimpses of her, you know, doing things that we've seen in previous episodes. Like when she was in the cage, um, I expected her to like, you know, look for a
0: panel and start breaking it open mm. to, you know, break the power grid But she like that. does use her brains yes. to outsmart, yes. you know, Toto. I gotta say, I'm kind of relieved with the reveal that she's, you know, a direct clone of Jango Fett. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that she doesn't have, you know, some kind of I don't know, force sensitivity. And maybe maybe it is revealed later on that is the case and they spliced her jeans with, you know, a Jedi or something. I don't know. or Palpatine uh, oh god (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that theory (laughs) that's just a nightmare (laughs) Uh, but yeah no I'm just happy that you know she's been able to survive so far because of her own like ingenuity and not because you know she's force sensitive and you know metachlorians and bullshit like that so David you saw a movie this week that's right I saw A24's latest horror film
1: False
2: Positive warning spoiler alert spoilers for horror film False Positive ahead you have been warned
0: and now our feature presentation
2: how are you a little crazy i am seeing things honey me too i'm having the wildest mommy brain lately i don't
0: i don't think it's mommy brain i think dr Kendall did something i think they're in on it
2: In on what?
1: As if getting pregnant weren't complicated enough, Lucy sets out to uncover the unsettling truth about her fertility doctor. This was directed and written by John Lee as well as Alyssa Nutting and Alana Glazer. This stars Alana Glazer, Justin Thoreau,
0: and Pierce Brosnan. So A24's False Positive is a film that feels like a missed opportunity. The idea of a modern day take on Rosemary's Baby seems like the perfect catalyst to explore current day themes and issues. But while the film film has some bold moments and good performances, well, at least one good performance, it's just missing some key important elements that leaves the film feeling bland and and ineffective at the end of the day. So after trying to conceive for two years, Adrian and Lucy find their savior in the form of the world-renowned fertility doctor, Dr. Hindle, played by Pierce Brosnan, who you can really tell is having a great time in this role. So once Lucy becomes pregnant, she begins to suspect darkness behind the motives of the good doctor and won't rest until she uncovers the truth of her quote-unquote birth story. So false positive is a thriller without any thrills. I mean, I don't know how to state it any plainer than that. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of like strange and bizarre events that take place in this film. I mean, fucked up moments that probably looked great in the script, but unfortunately the execution is just underwhelming and that's probably being kind. I don't know if the problem lies with the editing or the pacing, uh, but the film is completely void of any kind of suspense or tension. I mean, things just kind of happen in this movie. There's a severe lack of connective tissue between scenes to make you really feel anything. I mean, most of the characters exhibit little to no chemistry whatsoever. I mean, one of the biggest flaws in this film is the relationship between Lucy and Adrian, or the lack of, for that matter. This couple who's been through a lot trying to conceive a child, like, from the very beginning feels like they barely know each other. You don't believe, like, they're a couple at all, and so it's really hard to root for them. Like, it'd be one thing if this problem occurred, like in the second or third act, then it would at least make sense story wise. But like, you know, this is right from the very beginning. So you're not invested at all in these characters. And when Lucy does start her downward spiral and starts to suspect the world's against her, there's just never a point where you're questioning her as a narrator, which you really need to make a film like this work. Because so much of this movie hinders on her paranoia. Instead, everything goes from zero to 60 in a blink of an eye. There's really no buildup. So you don't really connect to her journey. For the entire runtime, it feels like, you know, it's just going through the motions. The film just trots along in predictability, not really bringing much to the table. I mean, for a film that doesn't really hide its influences, I mean, for God's sakes, the husband's name is Adrian. So it's really important that it brings something fresh and different. But instead, from the dialogue to the plot twists, we've seen a much better version of this film before. I mean, the only thing remotely entertaining about this film was Pierce Brosnan's performance. I mean who's just incredibly charming as this mad doctor. I mean, sure, you're not quite sure what his motives are, but he's so entertaining that he almost feels like he's in a different film at times, like from the rest of the cast. I mean, the tone is just that inconsistent. Every time we visit the fertility clinic, it's like we're abruptly in this, like, dark comedy. But unfortunately, it borderlines on camp because of that. And like, the ending literally feels like a parody of every art house horror film you've seen over the past five years. I mean, maybe as a standalone scene, it might work on its own, but unfortunately it's attached to this movie, so it's completely wasted. Well, Damon, what grade do you give this wonderful film? So obviously I was disappointed with this movie, uh, which has to be the first time I've ever said that about an A24 film, but I don't know, there was a germ of a good idea here, but unfortunately everything from like the execution to the relationships, to the dialogue, just feels as cold and sterile as one of Dr. Hindle's like fertility rooms. So I'm going to give this film a D. I can't recommend it, but if you want to check it out for yourself, it is streaming now on Hulu. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. Last week
1: in gaming, we got another look at Dying Light 2, a game that continues to pique my interest every time they show off some new gameplay. This time around, there was a large emphasis on stealth and how stealth mechanics work. The tension of the mission itself, in which you know this main character Aiden must crawl his way through a building filled with Zoms, you know, looked intense and like it could be actually a lot of fun. You know, depending on how you want to play this game. You know, this gameplay already you know opens itself up to Many different styles of play and advantages to those choices you make. The day and night cycles change the very dynamics of how you're even going to play this game each time, and all of that in one package is starting to look like something I'm going to have to try. I do have to say, while I wasn't all that interested in the first game, you know, and it never really just piqued my interest enough to actually buy it, you know, this one really seems like a good time and something I might want to pick up to play on stream. You know, I get this kind of, you know, vibe of how free this game in this world can be. You know, it's something that, you know, you know, makes me attracted to games like Skyrim and Fallout because it's so freeing and open to your choice. I am interested to see what the sequel to the first game that did get a lot of praise is like, um, and I might even try the first one out, um, depending on if I just can't wait for this game. But, you know, speaking of streaming this weekend, we finally have our, you know, first special event in our WWE 2K19 Universe mode. On July 4th we're doing an event I like to call Round 2 as we will be playing all of our second round matches for PCW in one stream. All of our competitors have been going on week after week to try to win a tournament for both the men's and women's world titles. And this Sunday, we're gonna see the second round of all of that. But in the main event, thanks to all of those who have actually been helping me with voting on our social media platforms, we will be having a six-man ladder match to determine the first ever prototype TV champion, who will then go on to defend the title each week on the show. You're not going to want to miss all the action coming from this weekend, and then next weekend we're going to be hopping back into you know The Witcher 3 and Mass Effect Legendary Edition. But enough about video games. Let's move on to wrestling.
0: Boy! The referee's hand a hair's breadth away. The Tiger Driver didn't pay off tonight. No, no any, no, year, no, any no, other no. year, any other vintage. Uh oh. oh no, winged oh, angel? Oh,
1: Alright, well we're a little bit short on time this week, so we're gonna we're gonna
0: get through wrestling, but we're definitely not short on love for AEW. But we only have a few minutes to talk about them. So here we go. This past Saturday we had the big title match between the AEW champion Kenny Omega versus the winner of the Casino Battle Royal jungle boy it, how was this match yeah christian you didn't get to see it unfortunately um it's been a busy week (laughs) it's okay i understand lazy ass um so
2: it was an excellent
0: match which i was expecting 100 uh you know it was the kind of match where you know kenny omega did end up going over but at the same time he made jungle boy and showed that you know he's got potential to be a future world champion you know sometime soon so um, I I really love the match they have great chemistry in the ring um, and Jungle Boy you know he brought his A game uh, this was definitely the best match I've ever seen him wrestle but I mean he's in there with Kenny Omega so yes <laughs> I want to say one of the reasons I really love this match even though like before it started, there's no way that I thought, you know, Jungle Boy would possibly be walking away with the AEW World Championship. But somewhere halfway through the match, they convinced me that it was possible that Jungle Boy could win this thing. And I think that's the magic of Omega, like the fact that he's able to put over his opponents so much that you believe That, you know, he could possibly lose. That's a talent like, you know, stars like Ric Flair used to have when he was world champion. You want to make your opponents look like, you know, possible world champions when they're standing across the ring from you because it's even better for you than when you do eventually get the victory. You know, (laughs) so exactly, you know, you don't want to look like you're beating someone that's, you know, not worthy of being in the ring with you. Right. So, and and at the same time, you're making, you know, the territory or your company look better. You're making stars. And that's what Omega did here. I wasn't in love with the build for this match by any means. Omega has been kind of dipping more into like the, you know, comedic aspect of his character lately. And don't get me wrong, like, I love that aspect of, you know, Kenny's charisma, but it was getting to the point where it felt like he was just, I don't know, he was like BTE Kenny and not like, you know, New Japan Kenny or just, you know, AEW Kenny for that matter. Um, so I, that that was the one issue I had. Also, I felt like they didn't give Jungle Boy enough mic time. They need to really let him, like, build his character mm-hmm. on the mic. Even, like, the promo he did before the match, Christian was there. You could tell Christian was there basically to do the talking for him. And that happened on uh, tonight's episode of Dynamite. We're recording this on Wednesday so um christian once again was there i don't think jungle boy said a single word and i know that was like originally his gimmick but at the at this point like we've seen him do sit down interviews so it uh-huh. was just weird to me <laughs> i also feel like christian's gonna eventually stab it in the back but that's neither here nor there uh but yeah no so i really want to see him work on his mic because he has all the tools to be mm-hmm. a future world champion and that's seen a lot i mean AEW. they've done such a fantastic job of building younger stars and it hasn't been like to the detriment of their established stars or their older stars for that matter. You know, they're doing it organically and like slowly building them up. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, there's at least five or six guys that you could see like carrying that belt in the future. You know, if not like the world championship, at least the, you know, TNT belt. I mean, with like, you know, the likes of Darby Allen, MJF, uh, Sammy Guevara, uh, Jungle Boy, I mean, Orange Cassidy. There's tons of like kind of homegrown talent there now. Uh, something that WWE hasn't been able to do in years.
1: At the end of almost every WWE pay-per-view, we always end up saying, like, who's Who's this champion even going to fight next? Yes. That's because we have no built stars for that. That's one of the things I've always loved about AEW is someone like Jungle Boy can, you know, be world champion one day. Yes. You know, it's, it's not someone you would typically see in that mold ever. Yeah, and it's not something that's
0: forced. Mm-hmm. Like, they exactly. built it. Like, like I said before, it's organic. Um, You know, it's not something that's happening overnight. He's not being shoved down our throats. Mm -hmm. It's a long-form story that they're telling here about the rise of Jungle Boy. Um, The same with, you know, Orange Cassidy or MJF. Like, it's only a matter of time before MJF walks away with that title. Like, that's happening sooner than later. And I also forgot Hangman. Like, (laughs) we found out on tonight's episode, and I haven't watched the entire episode at this point, so that's why I don't want to take too much of a deep dive on it. But, like, he's going to be the number one contender for the belt. So... I mean, that's huge. And I could definitely see him being the one to finally defeat Omega. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, Hangman walked in a little more established, but he's still super young. So and once he gets the belt, I feel like the sky's the limit with that guy.
1: I mean, he feels white hot every time he's on television
0: in general, let alone when he becomes champion for the first time. Yeah, no. So, I mean, the future is just bright with AAW. Yeah, mm-hmm. so definitely check out the match if you get a chance. I mean, have met my expectations if not succeeded them. Um, the one complaint I do have is they didn't give Jungle Boy enough of a moment at the end after he lost. I would have liked the crowd to at least acknowledge like his hard-fought loss here, you know, give him maybe a little standing no. Um, was it was it on the same level as what they did with
1: Sheeta, where it was like just a quick cutaway after the match? Kind of.
0: It kind of reminded me more of like what happened with Christopher Daniels after SEU lost that match and they had to split up. Mm-hmm. You know, they do the quick cutaway to the back. They don't give enough time to let the moment really like sink in. It's a small complaint, but they had Kenny, you know, kind of sneak up behind Jungle Boy and look like he was going to take him out with the belt. Christian Cage runs down, makes the save. Then like Matt Hardy and his group come down. Then of course, you know, Luchasaur, it becomes this huge brawl and everything. Mm -hmm. And it becomes less about jungle boy and more about like, you know, Christian Cage's angle with like Matt Hardy at the end. I was like, well, that kind of stole the moment away from jungle boy. So, and I don't know, like it, they might've been running out of time and that's why they did that. But if that's the case, then just don't send them out. You know, call an audible and give Jungle Boy the moment. Because I felt like that yeah. moment's more important than you furthering that storyline. You know, especially since it doesn't really even involve Jungle Boy. At least I don't think it will. For now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I do feel like eventually that relationship, <laughs> something's happening. Because uh, also they need to capitalize on this, too, this momentum that he has. Because a lot of times with AEW, it seems like they're going a certain direction and And then they kind of just forget about it for a couple weeks or a month. And I think that's too much to ask of the audience. You know, you have a two hour show and you've got like what, like what, six hours on, you know, YouTube that you do every Mm -hmm. week. So, I mean, if you're not going to follow up here, at least follow up on those shows. But a lot of times they drop angles and they come back to them like two months later. And I feel like at that time it's too late. You know, momentum's lost. So, you know, you got to keep on furthering this guy and keep on letting him win. They did this week have him win a match and they made a point of mentioning that he's the first AEW superstar to hit 50 wins. So, I mean, a lot of those probably came on dark, (laughs) (laughs) but it's nice that they're giving him like an accolade. But that's all the time we have to talk wrestling this week. Next week, we'll be back talking about AEW hitting the road again. With a, a very special episode of Dynamite. I guess it's called Road Ranger.
1: Ah. Something named after my daily routine, huh? <laughs>
0: I guess. It's a weird name, right? Like, what does what does that mean? Because they hit the... Oh, because they hit the road. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> it's 2.30 in the morning, Christian. Come on.
2: <laughs> you figure it
0: out. You got there. I slowly got there. I was like, why are they calling it Road Ranger? <laughs> I also might have been thinking about it, you know, during tonight's episode of Dynamite. So... You know, it took me about five hours to get there, but I got Whatever. there, right?
1: Yeah. It was a long day.
0: <laughs> You're a busy man. Yeah, I get, but they're, so they're only, they're going to Miami, so it's really not that far
2: <laughs> from okay. where they're
0: at right now, at least I don't think it is, so, I be mean, but after this, they're, they're full on touring again, so. Yeah, but just say, when's the New York show? Because that was the last one I saw them really, like, hitting hard online. Yeah, I believe uh, the New York show's taking place mid-September. But they announced some exciting news. Well, at least if you live in Chicago, which we do uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, tonight's episode, they were saying that the Dynamite and the Rampage, which I still have to wrap my head around. That's going to be a thing uh, before All Out is going to be taking place also in Chicago. So get your tickets now. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review.
1: Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow.
0: And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more.
1: That's right, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further?
0: You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got T-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States.
1: Well, David, what are we talking
0: about next week? Well, besides our usual Bad match and Loki recaps, uh, we've got a horror double feature next week. We'll be reviewing Werewolves Within and R.L. Stein's Fear Street.
1: Plus, of course, we're going to be talking AEW's Road Rager. My name's Christian. That's still a horrible name. And my name's David. <laughs> and that was the amazing nerd show. Oh
2: The great Oz has spoken. Oh Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The Great Oz has spoken.